0: The scripture for this morning is in the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, um, on page 875 in the Black Bibles. They're right over there if you don't have one and you want to grab one and open it and turn with me. The Parable of the Dishonest Manager. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, "'What is this that I hear about you? "'Turn in the account of your management, "'for you can no longer be manager.' And the manager said to himself, "'What should I do since my my master "'is taking the management away from me? "'I am not strong enough to dig, "'and I am ashamed to beg. "'I have decided what to do "'so that when I am removed from management, "'people may receive me into their houses.' So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to the other, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If, then, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of God.
1: So we have been in a something of a short series on money, but I know that never feels like a short series when you're talking about money. We're in four weeks. We had a guest last week. We're going to do two more weeks today and next week. And then just so you know, right after that, we're going to hit Ephesians a couple more times and then we'll be into the summer. Uh, before we hit this really amazing passage, it's a difficult passage, but it's really an amazing one. Let's uh, pray before him. God, we ask for your help now. We need you for all things and we now need you for illumination. And we would see with our minds that you have this prepared for us for now. But we don't want to just see with our minds, but we long to see with our hearts that you are here in these pages, that you are revealing yourself and your will for we who have entrusted our lives to you. May we see and know. May we believe and may we act. We ask this in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and by the work of the Spirit, He is with us. He is opening our eyes and our hearts even now your glory. Amen. Here's a story from uh, the Babylon Bee, a news outlet. Louisville, Kentucky. Local college student and church member Justin Burke was spotted digging through the pockets of his jacket Sunday morning as the offering plate began being passed around the sanctuary at his church. When the plate arrived to his usual spot in the back row, Burke was ready He was ready with his humble offering consisting of a half serving of Maruchan ramen instant noodles, which he quietly placed in the plate, trying not to draw attention to himself for his sacrificial contribution to his church. I don't really want to talk about it, Burke told reporters after the service. Yeah, I gave sacrificially this week, but it's no more or less than anyone else in this church would do. This is my first fruits offering. Burke also claimed his financial philosophy is to give till it hurts, and exemplified in his selfless in his selflessness his dried noodle block donation. At publishing time, Burke's generous contribution had inspired other members of the church's college ministry to begin gathering up a mighty offering consist of, consisting of three half-full cans of monster energy drink and an entire box of instant macaroni and cheese. That is from the Babylon Bee. That is not a real story. That is satire. And it is hilarious to me. It is funny to me. Because it should be true. From what God has given us, whatever it is, we should be generous. What He has provided to us, we should give a portion out, even if all you have is a little food. Why? Why is it that we are called to give? That is very clear in the Scriptures. We are to be cheerful givers of what God has given us. So is it because it makes us feel good? Is that why we give? Is it because it's the right thing to do? Do we give our money, our resources away, our time, our energy Because it makes us look good in front of other people. Do we do it for the tax break? Do we do it because God is hes poor and He needs our help? Well, the reason the Bible says that we should give is because this is who we are. Or more to the point, it is our job to give, to use these resources for the good of others, for the For the God-ordained ministries that He has called us to is our calling. We give, we use our resources because this is what we were made to do. We are the beneficiaries, Paul says, of life and breath and everything. And we are to take everything that we have and distribute it, spread it out among the communities of God, to the poor, to the needy, to the ends of the earth. And so in reality, our giving, it should be an expression of who we are. It should be part of our identity in God. Our generosity should flow from who we are in Him and what He has called us to. So what has He called us to? What is our calling our job? Well, the basic answer is this. We are God's stewards. We are his stewards. We are, as Randy Alcorn loves to say it, his money managers. When we get this, when we take this on as our responsibility, as the job he has created us for, it revolutionizes how we relate to money, but then frees us to give it away in the ways that are so joyful, so helpful to the world, So we're going to do that by, we're going to look into that this morning by looking at this amazing text, Luke 16, comes right from the mouth of Jesus. This is his parable, the dishonest manager, and so we need to get to work. If you don't have a Bible, please go take one. We want to give that to you. Take a Bible. That Bible is yours. Luke chapter 16. Here are three points to get us through this morning. One, the call of stewardship. Two, the urgency of stewardship. And three, the eternal joy of stewardship. One, the call of stewardship. Okay, read verse one there, 16.1. And he also said to the disciples, this is Jesus speaking, he said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. This is a fascinating story. Now, just for the record, it is notoriously hard to interpret. It is notoriously hard. Scholars for centuries have been trying to figure out exactly what Jesus was trying to say here. We think we have most of it figured out, but not all of it. On the surface, the details are pretty simple. They're pretty clear what's going on. There's a a rich man. He's a master, and working for him is a manager. And this manager is managing his affairs, his property, his money. But right at the outset... This guy, this manager, is about ready to get fired. He's going to get fired, And what he's going to do, he's going to do something drastic, that is dishonest, but it, it elicits the response of a master of the master that we are not expecting. But we're jumping ahead of ourselves. We need to get back and just see the very basics of this story: the master and the manager. Whenever Jesus talks about money, whenever he tells parables or stories about money, he very often uses this, this this setup, the master and the manager. And what he is doing at the outset, and we need to hear him very quickly, right off the bat, that he is trying to set us straight about how we relate to our money and possessions. It is a radical departure for many of us from, from what we are used to. And it's because we are used to being masters of our money. We like to be in control of our financial situation. Just give your kid an allowance and say, so by the way, you can't keep all that for yourself. You have to give some to the church. They will grab that up and hold it tight. No, I will not do that. We do not own our money. And he's going to say two things that blow that up. The first is that God the Father... Is the giver of all things. Now, in essence here, God is standing in as the rich master. Now, he is not exactly one-to-one to this guy. There's, there's, a, there's a little bit of a difference, but Jesus is setting up something. He wants us to understand that God is the master, the ruler over all things, the owner of everything. Now, we said that a few weeks ago, that everything comes from God. Everything is sustained by God. Our life, our breath, our money, all, all of our possessions, they come from Him. Now listen, these things don't just drop out from the sky, do they? He doesn't just give us a house or cars. He doesn't just give us food to eat, like at least not usually. That happened in the Old Testament. It doesn't really happen anymore. And yet He is the owner of all things. He is the giver of all things. So how does He do it? Well, Deuteronomy tells us that he gives us our ability to earn money, to earn resources, to earn a paycheck. Beware lest you say in your heart, Deuteronomy says, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth." You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to produce wealth. Is that your perspective? That everything that you do, that your ingenuity... Your work ethic, every break that you have is coming from God Himself. Last year I mentioned that I saw, I was driving down the road in my minivan and right up alongside me rushes this Maserati, beautiful black Maserati. And as he goes past me, I see his license plate and the license plate says, success. Success. Now he's being bold about something that We have a problem with We believe that all of our money is ours. We believe that we have earned it. No one has given it to us. We have done it. We have amassed it. We have saved it. God, the owner of all things, says that is not true. And so I am not joking. This week, I'm driving down the road... And I see another license plate that fits this much better, that fits who and how we should be much better. It was an SUV, and it said, grateful, GR8-4. We are to be grateful for all things because all things come from God. Okay, so that's who God is. He is the rich master in a sense, in the story, in essence. But who are we? That's what I really want to get at this morning. Who are we as beneficiaries, as the, as the ones who get all of his resources? He gives it to us. How are we meant to relate to this stuff? If it's not owner, then what is it? Now, this is the question we must always ask ourselves every time we get a paycheck, every time we go to spend any of our money or give any of our money. Think of it this way. Say Warren Buffett, one of the richest guys on the planet, he gives you a call. You pick up the phone. He says, I want to give you $10 million. Now, what would you say if Warren Buffett told you that? I actually don't think you would say, That is awesome. I think you would say, Why? Why? Why are you giving me this money? What is the catch? God has given us much more than 10 million dollars he has given us much more than we know what to do with in terms of our life and our breath in terms of all of our gifts and of course in terms of our money this knowledge that he has given us everything that we have should make us stop it should make us pause and simply ask why why has he given this to us what does he want from me And Jesus says it, Luke 16.1, He also said to His disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. God, in a sense, in these parables from Jesus, God is the master and we are the manager. God provides and we manage. God gives, we administer. The word for manager here could be translated as steward. Steward, maybe you know what that means. It means to use resources wisely not indiscriminately not foolishly not wastefully to use it in a way that is approved by the master and earns the master back a profit we take what he has given to us and we bring back more than what he had given us in the first place Randy Alcorn says this the servant should be acutely aware the manager should be acutely aware that they are only caretakers or money managers it is their job to take the assets entrusted to them and use them wisely to care for and to expand the master's estate. Friends, God has entrusted us resources so that we might manage them well. Friends, you are His money managers. And I know that that may be a radically different way of looking at money than you are used to. We are used to seeing money, to relating to money as though it is ours. And our spending, when that is true, when we take God out of the picture, our spending and our giving is drastically affected by that. To the degree that we believe that we are the masters over our own resources, so we will live that way. But what happens if we truly believe that we are just the beneficiaries and that we have been given this role to manage what He has given to us? Well, that will change, too, how we spend, how we give, how we save, how we see the world, how we give of our time and energy, and especially our money. Now, we need to say something hard here. I just want to keep on pushing, but we need to say this hard, this hard thing. If we are not using our resources as managers, what are we doing? If we say, God, you're not in this picture. I've done this. I've earned this. I'm not going to give any of it away. What is that? If we do not commit to wisely, sacrificially using what he has given to us, what are we doing? I think we need to be honest and say that we are robbing God. That we are stealing from him. Malachi the prophet said this to the people of God. Chapter 3. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Okay, tithing. What's tithing? That's giving 10% of your wealth. Now we know that in the new covenant community, now that Jesus has come, we are not beholden to that law in the same way anymore. But can I tell you what? It is a really wise thing to do. It is a good thing to start at 10%. But when you hear that, maybe you go, whoa, that is a lot of money. Think about it this way, though. Someone comes to you, Warren Buffett. He says, I'm giving you all of my resources, all of my assets, billions and billions of dollars. He says, all I ask is that you invest 10% or give away 10% of it. You keep the rest. How would we take that? We would take that pretty well. I can do that. I can live on 90%. But we have been given so much and we say, no. It would be like saying to Warren Buffett, no, that's not good enough for me. I want 95%. I want 98%. Now we would say that as selfish. There is no difference between what God has given to us and what we are to do with it. But that is what many of us do. We need to change our thinking. God is the owner of all. He's the sustainer of all. And we must let this not just change our habits, but ultimately free us because we have been relating to money in ways that have not been helpful to us. They have made us anxious and frustrated. But when we know that everything is from Him and that to be like Him, we are to give it away. We are to use it wisely. That is a freeing Thing. Jerry Caven was a very successful owner of a restaurant chain, two banks, a farm, several real estate ventures. At age 59, he was looking to buy a nice lakeside retirement home. But as he says, the real owner had other plans for him. He said this, God let us to put our time and money into things overseas. It has been exciting. Before, we had just given token amounts, small amounts. Now we put substantial money into missions. We often go to India on our own. Now what changed the Caven's attitude towards giving? Well, he says it. He says it was realizing God's ownership. Once we realized we were giving away God's money to do God's work, we discovered a peace and joy we never had back when we thought it was all ours. Every penny, every quarter, every dollar is from God. And we must manage it with deftness, with strategy, with sacrifice, with generosity. That is our calling. That is who we are, what we have been created for. We are called to stewardship. Point two, the urgency of stewardship. The urgency of stewardship. So the manager... He gets wind that his master is not happy with him. He has been mismanaging his resources. We don't know how. He's just been doing a really awful job. And so when he finds this out, he does something radical. He does something really radical. And What he does is he reduces the debt of those who owe his master money. Hear that again. He reduces the debt of those who owe his master money. Verse 5. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. So the, so the manager said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and you write fifty. And he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. Now, those numbers don't really mean anything to us, but I can tell you that they are huge sums of money. They were huge sums of money that this manager was forgiving. Now, listen, if the master had come to him and said, hey, I want, I want you to forgive this debt, that would be obviously commendable. We'd say, absolutely, that's a great thing. Yes, release the debt, or at least part of it. That is a good thing. But it is not the master doing it. It is the manager And this is not his money at all. He is reducing the debt. He has no right to reduce. And even worse than that, he does it without the master knowing. This is why he is called the dishonest manager. But then the great twist comes in. The thing that doesn't make sense at first. Verse 8. The master... Commended the the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Hear that again? The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Why? You remember that scene from the movie Anchorman when Ron Burgundy comes back into his house and he sees his little Jack Russell Terrier there, and he finds out that he's he's gone to the bathroom in his fridge and he's eaten an entire wheel of cheese. Remember this? What does Ron Burgundy say to him? I'm not even mad. I'm amazed. The master should be furious. But he's not mad. He says, essentially, that's amazing. Why? That's our question. Why commend the manager? Now, this has baffled scholars for centuries, and I can't say that I have the perfect solution, but I think that there are at least two pieces of this puzzle that we need to understand. First, it's possible that in those early economic systems, managers like this, would get a fee for making good on debt. And that happens today. We get commission for getting, getting debts repaid. For every dollar he had returned his master, he probably would have received a certain amount of money for himself, a commission. But when he finds out he's going to lose his job, it is possible that when he went to reduce that debt, he did not take the commission. He did not take any fee for himself. And so in the end, the master gets most of what he would have made back. And he looks really good in the eyes of those who had been in debt to him. So that's part of it. He jumps into this thing and he acts radically. But the second piece is this. It is likely that this is a how much more parable. As we try to apply this to our lives, we're to think of this phrase, how much more more. It's a, if this is true for this person, how much more is it true for you? So for example, when Jesus says that we should go pray, he says that it's like going and knocking on a neighbor's house and you'd knock and knock and knock until they open the door and finally give you a morsel, a piece of food to eat. And Jesus says, how much more when you go to pray to God and get resources from him, will he answer you for he is your father? how much more so what is the how much more here read verse 8 the whole thing this time the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light so back up one more second when the worldly man finds out that he's getting fired what does he do what does he do he acts quickly He acts shrewdly. He acts radically with his resources. When his future was on the line, he moves heaven and earth. He gave up all of his commission to make certain that his future was set. And Jesus looks at this and he says, How much more should you, the sons of light, you who are Christians, do so? Okay, now how is that a much more? For this reason. The future for the man in this parable, the master is 5, 10, 20 years down the road. What is the future for Christians? What is the future for us? For us, for the sons and daughters of light. Friends, it is eternity. It is our infinite existence. Jesus is saying in light of eternity, how much more should you act urgently, shrewdly, quickly, radically with your resources? One commentator put it this way to make it perfectly clear. This parable is about the wise use of possessions in view of the coming of the end of the world. Wisdom calls for using wealth astutely in view of the presence of the kingdom And of the coming judgment. What is this mainly teaching? It is mainly teaching that we must be urgent. We must see our job in terms of urgency. We do not believe that we are simply to live this life as best we can. And then we die. No, we know, as Jonathan Edwards says, that we live on the precipice of eternity. Now that's hard to get our minds around that. It is hard to get our minds around eternity when we're changing diapers and driving to work. But we do know that this life is short. And then something happens after. And that something is infinite. We live, we die, and we are off. Off into eternity. Jesus says it matters how you manage your resources here. It matters for eternity how you manage God's money. How we do it will echo into the eternal kingdom of God. Another commentator named Michael Wilcox says it beautifully and urgently. Although your property, ability, time belong to this life only, yet what will happen to you then when you pass into that life will depend on what you are doing with them here And now. And so we cannot wait. We cannot wait. We cannot wait until we make a little more money. Until we get that next promotion. Until we retire. We are called as stewards. To be stewards. Now. Live with urgency. Last point this morning. The eternal joy of stewardship. The eternal joy of stewardship. So the mastery commends the manager, and we see it because he has acted shrewdly to save himself for the next season of his life. Now I just want you to see one more thing. It's in that next verse 9, but I want you to see what the man invests in. This is so important. When everything was on the line, what this man did to shrewdly invest his resources is something that we must follow. Our hearts must follow him into this. How do we give? How do we become stewards on this planet? It is a hard thing. It is a hard thing to open up our wallet for God. And sometimes it can just feel like an abstract thing. Yes, I'm to give because of eternity. That is hard. But what this man gives to and what Jesus is saying that we must give our lives into, I hope that it moves you. And what he says is to give into love. Into love. Verse 9. And I tell you, make friends, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. So when this man put, when his, when his life was on the line, when his job was on the line, where did he put his resources? He could have gotten another commission. He could have finished out and gotten some more resources. He could have come away with one last paycheck, but that would not work. That would not last. He needed something more than that. And so he put his money into his friendships, into his relationships. Again, Jesus says, how much more for you? How much more should our goal be to invest in our relationships, in our time on our on earth? Our goal is to make friends forever. Now, why is that a good thing? Because ultimately, that's what we need and we want. We do not ultimately need more resources. We do not need more cars or houses or eye watches. We do not need more money in our bank account. We do not need to have a bigger retirement fund. When all of that fades away, what we will want and desire is love. Is the love that we find between brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Jesus says, put your money there start it now put your money in to love now listen remember what Michael Whitlock said he said all these things your property ability time belong to this life only yet what you will happen to you then when you pass into that life will depend on what you are doing with them here and now but then he adds one more line at the end he says this so make sure that your use of them brings you into a fellowship of friends which will survive Beyond death. God does not ask us to give arbitrarily. He doesn't do it just because it's another law that he wants us to do. Another hoop to jump through. God knows what we need. He is asking us to give into eternity. We invest here so that it will come to bear in eternity. Heaven and what he wants for us is joy, and where we receive joy is when we are with others and him. Where in heaven our friendships will not be strained, where love is not tainted, where people are not annoying, where we will find true flourishing. And that true flourishing is the perfect love between God, humans, and each other. And God says, Invest in that now. Invest in the glorious, happy, and loving community that we will all be partakers of in the future. Do it now. In a sense, it's selfishness. You're investing for yourself, but it is a high and holy selfishness. Okay, now how do you do that? How do you invest now so that it reverberates into eternity? Here's a quote from Tim Keller. This is what he says. We know what God's money values are, God created the world to be an interrelated, interdependent place of shalom. He wants you to plow your wealth into human community. We are to plow our wealth, plant it, place it into human community so that it flourishes. So let me just give you three practical things. First, this means to me to never make money at the expense of another person. In other words, don't make money if you have to drive someone else down. Don't make money if it means you have to step on them to get over them. If you have to do it that way, then it's not worth it. It's not worth it to get that next bonus check or promotion or whatever. Do not use. Do not make money at other people's expense. Second, Put your money into meeting people's needs. Put your money into meeting people's needs. Give in such a way, in other words, to the degree that they are helped by you. Give to your struggling Christian friend. Give to ministries that meet the needs of the poor, the outcast, the widow. You go do it directly. Out of your wallet, out of your pocket, you give to the poor consider becoming a foster parent or adopting a child. Have you ever known the feeling of truly helping someone? Not because it gets you any glory, but because it truly helps them. There is almost nothing better in the world. Okay, third, spread the gospel. Spread the gospel. I actually wonder if Jesus mainly means this. And we are to put our resources into things essentially that create new Friends, We are to give generously into ministries that share Jesus, that point to His atoning work, that call people to gospel repentance. Because when our money and our time and our resources help to bring a soul to Christ here, they are going to be rushed into eternity. And what do we gain through that? A friend forever. A friend forever. We are to plow our resources in to human community, that is where God's values are. That is what He values for us. And we know this is exemplified in the Gospel. We know this came to a head. It was exemplified in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. All of this is possible. We know that a blissful, happy eternity is possible because we have been already welcomed by the great Steward, our eternal and loving friend, Jesus Christ. When God, when He sent His only Son to the earth, He sent Him as a poor man, right? Jesus had no material possession. He was a poor carpenter from Galilee. And yet He was infinitely rich in the one thing that we needed, His righteousness. His gracious, loving righteousness. And friends, when He went to the cross, He gave it all up for us. He had it all. He had all the resources and he let it go on the cross so that we could flourish. He did not sacrifice just 10%. He gave it all so that someday, friends, he could welcome us in as friends. How must you change your life to become a faithful, wise, and shrewd manager of God's resources? What must you do to align yourself and your money with what will truly last? May God give us His grace that we may see and that we may act quickly. Let's pray. God, we stand before You and I pray it is with humility. I know there is pride within us, and yet we ask right now for humility. I pray that You would just show Yourself to us this morning. That You would remind us once again that You are God. That You spoke the world into existence. And when You created all things, all things were good. And that though we have fallen, though this world has fallen, yet You continue to give us Your grace in giving us all things. May that great vision of You that You have provided to us graciously through the Spirit, may it begin to change us. God, for those who are already really good, great givers, they are not perfect. Take them another step further today. Align them with Yourself a little bit more today. May they give in a way maybe that they have, never, have not even considered. May they give in a way that You are calling them to. God, for those who have never given, who will give very little. God, You do not hate them. You love them and You want something different from them. I pray that You would release them using their resources in a new freeing joy-filled way. Give them grace to give a percent, to give 5%, to give more. Free them to do that in their minds and their hearts. Free their bank accounts some way supernaturally that they're able to give more. And God, we pray that for this church. God, this church exists because of the amazing contributions of your people. Our people are a generous people. But I know that we need to go further. Because this life is short. And the next life is eternal. May we put our money, may we put our resources, our time, our life and our breath and everything into those things that last by your grace, for your glory, for the joy of all peoples. Amen.